Our Father, we pray, bless the preaching of your word as we seek to share your oracles with your people. A message from home. We've got a message from home for what to do in perilous times. I pray that you'll speak, that you'll continue to work. How I sense I'm in the Holy of Holies. I think I'm beyond the inner veil. I've entered there with Christ where I have an anchor of the soul. I have a hope beyond the veil. I've got an anchor man up there, an anchor man that anchors me, that keeps me when the waves are moving and the winds are blowing. I have an anchor on high, an anchor for the soul, an anchor for the soul. I do not have to be tossed to and fro by all that's going on in this world. We bless your name. We bless your name. Amen. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's time to grow up, and it's time to know how to act when the end is upon us. The New Testament writers kept saying the end was any moment. The phrase is used of we're living on the edge of eternity. Christ can come any moment. You can die any moment. John said in 1 John, we're living in the last kind of hour. So we've been in a living in the last hour for 2,000 years uh, because you never know when Christ may step through the door and it's all over. Now, you're not aware of that, especially if you're young. You think you're going to live forever. Uh, and as you get older, you just hope you don't live forever, not in the condition you're in. Uh, I, if there's a change, okay, but I'm tired of medication, tired of coping with all the aches and pains of age. But it's a phrase, the end of all things is near. How do you take it? Is that pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, pre-millennial, all-millennial? It doesn't matter what prophetic view you've got. The end of all things is nigh. It's any moment. It doesn't matter what your view is. Well, what should I do then? Being gone uh, this last week, when you're in a hotel, you watch more TV than you need. We watch the news in the morning, you know. We'd watch it in the evening, CNN, uh, Fox. And, uh, you know, that makes you so positive. <laughs> it, it just may, breeds faith, breeds hope. No, I know everything I want to know about the Malaysia airline. 
I know everything I want to know about the insane former KGB dictator Putin and uh, that can take Ukraine, the whole nation, in a moment because Europe didn't have the guts to fight him. The Russians are fighters. Europe is counting money. Russia is counting troops. They're ready to fight. You better be sure you want to fight if you're going to take on Russia because they are a bear. They are a fighter. So I've heard all about that. Putin, I know all about the border in Texas. Uh, I know all about the bombing of Israel and how the news keeps downing. Israel's got to do something, got to do something. What would America do if 140 rockets a day were shot upon us? Would someone tell us to be more patient? And the whole world community tells Israel, oh, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. Uh, put up. Give them more time. What do you mean give them more time? What's Hamas doing over there in Gaza anyway? The nations are in a turmoil, and they will get worse and worse and worse and worse. And what should you do? Chew your nails and order some Valium? We're in the end times. We're in the end times. We're in the end times. So what? We've been in them for 2,000 years. I got saved being afraid of the end times because in 1958, Suez Canal, Russia was going to go on Egypt's side. I was staying with my brother Paul. I was scared to death of Henry Cabot Lodge, being on the UN, trying to negotiate a peace. I knew they were going to push the rockets. I knew Russia was going to fire. I thought the United States would. I was scared to death because I grew up around uh, a dad that loved prophecy. So prophecy, as a boy, scared to death, grow up in Richmond with training all of my life, air raids, get under your desk. This is a war town. Get ready. The enemy's coming. Did any of you ever do that at Nystrom? Did you ever get under your desk? Well, that's, Richmond was a war town. It's a different kind of war now. How should we then live if it is all about to end when Jesus comes and when you die, however your end is going to come, <clears throat> how should we be uh, living in light of the end? Dig a better fallout shelter? What you need to do is vote Republican. How to end this. I'm ready to start my own party. I don't like any of them as a whole. Hardly none of them up there voting what I want to vote. Huh? I'm glad it's not Nero. They still haven't decided to kill us. But they don't want us in the public square. So the times are changing. The winds are blowing. How in the world should I behave? Three things we want to look at in Peter. We need to keep our head, keep our heart, and employ our body. We need to keep our head, keep our head in perilous times because you can think crazy thoughts when you're under fire. Two, keep your heart. What should you be doing in these days when everything is so wicked and bad? How should we be directing our heart? And thirdly, how are we employed? What are you doing with yourself in the midst of it? Let's take, first of all, let's keep a clear head. And he gives three uh, comparisons here. First of all, you ought to be sound-minded. 
And the word there means a cool-headed. Be cool-headed. Be under control of your mind. Uh, you get a man under fire. You get bullets being shot. Uh, when you're on the front line, uh, you can fall apart if you hadn't had training. What do I do under fire? How do I respond? I want to lift my head. I want to run. All kinds of thoughts that soldier has to learn. i got to keep my head. I've got to keep my cool when we're under attack. And here Peter is saying, be sure you keep your head. Be sure you think right. How you think will determine how you behave. Thinking precedes behavior normally. And then he says, uh, and be sober-minded. The word sober-minded is much easier because it literally comes from the word, don't be intoxicated. Don't be intoxicated. Um, and other words, don't be acting under undue influences. Be careful about what's influencing your mind. What is shaping the way you think today? Uh, is it the latest uh, news, sitcom, book, philosophy? Ah, hey, uh, maybe you ought to buy a fifth. That really influences you. I just saw, read an article in the paper about the 51-year-old executive at Google. I would think a Google executive would be a little brainy. But when he had a call girl at 51 shoot him up, in seven minutes he was dead. Doesn't matter how many millions of stock he had in Google, he's dead. He was first under the influence of a call girl, then he was under the influence of a drug that killed him. What kind of influence you've been driving under? I'm more concerned not how you drive, but how you live. Who's influencing you? Is it booze? Is it pornography? Uh, is it money? What, what, what influence? Keep your head. You're in the end times. You're just a vapor that can drop off this planet any moment, or Jesus will come any moment. Anywhere you go, we're people that live on the edge of eternity. What influences are shaping the way you live? And he said, I'm telling you, in the end times, you've got to keep a clear head. Your adversary's prowling about. He wants to devour you. And he says, Peter says in 5, be alert. Be vigilant. Be, keep your mind engaged. Quit being a dummy in perilous times. Quit being stupid in your behavior. Watch what you let influence you. The movies, the papers, the people, the relationships. Be careful who's influencing the way you think. For how you think is how you'll act, and how you act is how you'll pay or be rewarded. Keep your head straight. That's why you ought to put something in it besides negative material or material that will warp you. Are you putting anything positive in this marvelous, marvelous mechanism called a brain? How are you thinking, too? He said, uh, you need to be careful after the mind. 
He, I, oh, I have to say this. The third, be, be first of all, sound-minded. Be sober-minded. Then be vertically-minded. And by that, that's prayers, your prayers. He said, so that your mind is clear, so that you can pray right. Isn't it interesting when you don't think right, you can't pray right? I mean, you're worried, let's say, or you're fretful, or you're down. Let's say, for instance, I mean, I've had a week, practically the week before, of too much news. I thank God I don't watch CNN very much, nor Fox. I mean, Hannity, I've heard you enough. What else you got to say? That's my diet. Is there any word for today? Any word. And he said, unless I'm thinking right, I won't pray right. What shapes my mind? And, and here's a typical thing today. If I just picked on prayer, I, if I just ask you, just rhetorically, and I said, how is your prayer life? And, and all of a sudden, people, ooh. They, then they go into prayer. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, God. I don't want him to see my face. But I'm not even preaching on prayer. But if I just said, how is your prayer life? Your prayer life is no better than your thought life. You can't be looking at pornography and want to pray. You can't be full of negativity and want to pray. You can't be living on the American dream that we're working more hours, 50 to 60. Europe croaks. They make it on 30 hours because they believe in vacation. But Americans are working longer, working more hours. We're the fast, fast, busy, busy. I'm too busy to pray. That's a mental state. Did you know what? You don't have any more hours in a day than I do. The president doesn't have any more. You can have more money, less money, but you don't have more time. We got this right now before us. However many minutes God's going to let us live today, no person gets more time. They may get more years, but I'm talking about right now. Today, what you do in a 24-hour period, you don't have more time than I've got. You may get something done, I may not. But the time equation, it's a priceless thing. You may get more money, you may not get more time. What do you need more money for if you don't have more time? David's got a joke. He, he's got, carries on with one of our friends in the church. What are you going to do with all that money? Buy an iron lung? If you get all the money you can stand and your time runs out, uh, in the ICU department, it says, you know what? You just, your 401K just topped 2 million. And according to the doctor, you've got 20 minutes to live. You can't manufacture more time. Sorry. When God said it's over, it's over. Whether Jesus comes or you die, your end is near. Your end is near. So, keep your head clear, and if you're thinking right, you'll have a prayer life because you'll know how severe the times are, how much real help you really have in God. The only real source of help we, we need to get for our community, for our marriages, for our children, it only comes from above. So, you got to talk to Him. you got to take it to Him, and, and it's just a resource that 
and a relationship that unless you have time for it, you can never draw on what all he has to give you. Second, you've got to guard your heart and watch your heart in perilous times. Listen to what he says. He says that uh, you need to keep a loving heart. We pick up, above all, top priority, first, first of all, first of all, keep loving one another. That's number one. Now you say, good night. How many times does God have to say it? Is God stuttering in the Bible? Love one another. Love one another. I got it. I heard it. Don't say it again. Why do you tell your child to do something ten times? They didn't do it. Why does God keep us telling us to love one another? Because, well, I got that down. No, you know what to do, but you haven't done it yet. That's why he keeps telling us. I don't think any parent likes to say, I'm going to tell you for the fifth time. My brothers are here. We know we got one instruction. If you got that, that was a bonus. After that, my mother would yell. My dad would say, I don't yell. You do. Mama yells, I want to make you yell. You got this? Read my lips one time. And God says, when I say it over and over and over and over and over, number one, I mean it. Number two, do you hear me? And are you going to do it? Now, he says, we ought to love one another. And, you know, if you're Christian, oh, we, yeah, we know that. But the old song said, but show me someone who's, who's doing it. Well, how do you want me to love, Lord? Two ways. Two, this isn't sloppy agape, gooey, gooey. This kind of love. You know, I just love you. Can't wait till you leave here so I can talk about you. No, no. What, what kind of love is this? Two, positive and a negative. The positive is love each other earnestly. And the word earnest here is a word that was used of an athlete, and it's kind of he's in the blocks. And right here, your calves, right there, it was the picture that the muscles were taunt. And he's getting ready to run, so it's like that. He's engaged. He's ready for that uh, buzzer to go, whatever. I'm ready. I'm in full. I'm ready. Boom. And he's gone. It was used of a horse in a full gallop. The muscles. You know, have you ever seen these pictures of these horses? Magnificent horses. And it seems like every muscle is taunt as they're running. And they're running. It's that word. In the Gospels, it was used of Jesus. And I believe about eight times, this is how it was translated when it was used of Jesus. He stretched out his hand and healed him. He stretched out his hand. The word stretch is the word. He stretched out and touched him about eight times. He stretched out. So what Peter is saying is, I want you to have the kind of love that will stretch itself. I was thinking this morning, is love ever passive? Or is it something that stretches out? It means effort. 
It means everything you got, and we're not used to that kind of love. You see, Hollywood makes a living off of creating an artificial kind of love. It's created a lust, one moment. Uh, you know, I'm caught up in the fever of it. Uh, it, it the ambiance is right. The mood is right. Uh, I might be married or not, but when you get caught in this mood, uh, it's over. It doesn't matter if you're married, if you're not married. Uh, you just got to do it. And it's usually lust. It's usually sex. Because what's the difference between love and lust? I don't think our culture knows. I don't think our kids do. Because uh, when a girl is told, you put out or you don't go out. You put out or we don't go out. You know that when the guy asks you to go with you. I'm not, I'm not buying you a hamburger and you're not giving me sex. That's just the understood uh, culture we're living in. Boys are wearing condoms now, fifth grade, they say. They now hand them out to fifth graders. Just read an article on it. Sex crazed culture with more divorce, more abused women, more sex trade, and more denigration of women, more women called a hoe than ever in our history. And I love you, baby. No, you don't. You want to use me because love uh, puts the other first. Lust puts me first. Love was sacrificed for the object. Lust, no sacrifice. I want to use you. If you get pregnant, if you get diseased, if you get sick, too bad, babe. Uh, love lasts. Lust is temporary. And it's amazing how Hollywood can create these uh, incredible romantic uh, scenes, and it can all just happen in a moment, and, and it's so romantic, it's way up there, and people get on the web, and they start talking to other people, they start have fantasies, uh, they start going up to fantasy sex, all of this, and all in the name of love, and then this is what may happen. They may get married. More shack up than get married anymore. But if they get married, here is the world's biggest letdown. And you'll get couples like this. I'll be married a couple years. And, and, and if they're thinking, if they don't say, say, that old fever has just evaporated. That, that, that spark we had seemed to be uh, ashes. Baby, we had it going. We had such chemistry, and now I can't even see a sparkle in your eye. What, what, where, what's happened to you? I don't feel in love anymore. I've had people call me on their honeymoon and say, you know what? It's not going good. <laughs> I had a man call me. He says, I think I married the wrong woman. I don't know if I'm in the will of God. I said, well, it's the will of God now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm God's will. Oh, you sleeping with that girl? Yeah, you just said that. Yeah, yeah, it's God's will. <laughs> yeah, get over it. Oh, that feeling's kind of, <laughs> because you get married, 
And I wrote this, uh, why marital love can get to be a drag. Get this. We just don't have those highs like we used to have. Well, one thing, you may not be high. <laughs> you may have got saved. Uh, and 7-Up doesn't do as much as bourbon. Um, and you'll hear him say, I think we've fallen out of love with each other. Why? Well, I'm, I'm looking for another one. Really? I wonder why you fall out of love when, if you're married, let's say, within the first five years, and let's say you've got, let's just suppose you have a couple of children. That's not unheard of, is it? Many girls are pregnant when they get married, so the baby's immediate. And you just say, you know what? In the midst of doing the wash, bathing two to three children, holding a 45-hour-a-week job, keeping up the house, trying to fix gourmet meals at McDonald's, <laughs> taking the kids to all the sporting events, and then I fall into the bed where the war's still undone, the bills are still due, and I'm exhausted, and all of a sudden I say, I don't feel like I'm in love. Why, no, honey, you ought to feel exhausted. I mean, we're overworking women to death in our culture. They're working 50 to 55 hours. They got to be a sex kitten in the uh, bedroom. They got to be a gourmet cook in the kitchen. Uh, they got to be this and that. And I just uh, say, say, meet Mrs. Haggard. <laughs> and he's saying, baby, you just don't do for me what you used to. And she wants to say, you see this? You don't, what you did to me has given me two children. And I'm changing them, feeding them, driving them around, cooking meals, keeping house, and answering to a boss 45 hours a week. And you wonder why we are not living on a high. Now, pure lust says, I got to get me another one. But it's hard to get another one because these guys today don't want to hold a job. So you've got to get a gal that's got a job. You want her to support you too. Put out and work. I wonder why she's not thrilled to have you. Well, that, if you think that works, you need to see the Godzilla film. Why would she be thrilled to be with you? What kind of arrangement? And so... We got people all the time saying, I don't feel like I'm in love. No, you shouldn't. You ought to feel wore out. Why are you still in the marriage? Because you got to move to a love that will stretch itself, to a love that can exist on volition and not emotion, a love that can exist on commitment and not on the highs and lows of any relationship, no matter what they are. I'm in a relationship of love that will stretch me, stretch me to stay in a marriage. But here he's talking about loving the brethren, loving one another. I've got the kind of love that will reach out and stretch to love you. It's not just a big emotion. What's love got to do with it? You've got to be operating off of volitional love, not just emotional Everybody's got high lows, high lows. 
That is everybody except liars. And Hollywood lies a lot. And so we go see a movie. Oh. oh. Then you go home, and the washing machine's broke. And you've got to go to work in the morning. Yeah, it, it brings you back real quick. I recommend you get acquainted with your local cleaners. Uh, then there's another side of this love. This love covers a multitude of sins. There's the, see, the positive is it will stretch itself. It's not a love operating on emotion, make it happen, I'm passive. No, I, I'm stretching out for you. I'm initiating. Two, it's a love that can cover sin. Now, when it says cover sin, it doesn't mean it's a cover-up. You can't hide anything from God, right? All sin is before God. But what does it mean? That it's a love that covers a multitude of sin. The actual word for atonement means to cover. To cover. The mercy seat is where you covered sin. You, you sprinkled blood, and it came between God, God's eyes and the law. Did God know you didn't do it? No, he knows you did it. But he provided a covering. He provided a covering. Now, in relationships, uh, the kind of love Peter's talking about is we can pick each other apart. And where love is thin, faults are thick. You got little love, you're a critical person. Nobody does it quite right. Because you take the position, you got to earn my love. You got to, honey, I'm somebody. I'm picky about who I love. And you come into the church, we're slave and free man, rich and poor, men and women, Jews, Gentiles, they're all in the same church. And he said, now you're going to pick who you love? I only love Mexicans because I'm a Mexican. You know, we're close. You mean you don't love white folks? I just love white folks because, you know, black folks, you know what they're like. So you get to pick what you're going to love. God didn't give you that choice. His kind of love, you love everybody. Male, female, any ethnicity. Any social status. Christianity supersedes it all. And it says here, it does not seek to expose people's faults. Love bears all things. It covers all things. And it's not saying it doesn't know it happened. It's really interesting. I had a pastor friend that was going through pastoral problems and trials and eventually had to leave the church. Uh, but one day I was talking to him. He said, you know, my critics, the thing I'm being criticized for, he said, I just thought if there was a film of it and my mother got to see it, she couldn't find anything wrong. But in the eyes of my critics, everything's wrong. Kind of interesting. Same data, just a different set of glasses different set of glasses. Do you know some people you hate to be around because you know you're not going to pass? You're not going to pass because, you know, they're real picky with who they love. Well, God must not have been too picky because he loved you. Yeah. 
I said, God must not have been too picky because he loved you. And God says, why don't you dispense what you received? You received grace. Why don't you dispense it? You received love, unconditional love. Did you know not one of the great covenants of the Old Testament would still be intact if both parties had to be faithful? When God made a covenant with Abraham, you know what he did? He put him to sleep. Abraham couldn't sign his part of the document. Genesis 15, put him to sleep. And when Abraham woke up, the fire of God went between the meat and God said, I just made a covenant to bless you forever, Abraham, while you were asleep. That's called unconditional love. And at the cross, God made an unconditional promise to love you and save you based on what he did on the cross, not based on your worthiness. He made the promise. He keeps the promise. And he puts up with you and I. Quit thinking he did so good to get you. No, he didn't. Because he saw us as sinners. He saw us as people that were going against his law. Now, let me ask you this. We had it in our Timothy class. Frank came over and he asked the guy, he says, uh, how many uh, thank God loves you? Uh, most of the guys raised their hand. It was, it was refreshing. They, they believed it. God loves me. Then he went to a second question. He said, how many of you think God likes you? And Adam, I'll never forget that night. I can't quote him because it's too bad. Uh, and he says, oh, man, if you knew me like I know me, uh, I don't even like me. I don't like, you know, the stuff that I'm dealing with. I asked the class, they were asked, how many of you think God likes you? I don't think we have 50%. They all thought God loved them, but God could not like them. And um, the question was asked, and the statement was made, God doesn't just like you, he's crazy about you. When do you insert people's names in your palm if you don't, if you're not crazy about them. I can't hear you out there. Talk about you. Is your name inscribed? I'm not worried about it just being the book of life. I got it inscribed in his hand, honey. See, I'm not safe in his hands. I'm as safe as his hand. I'm a part of his body. I'm not just in the hand. I'm in the body. That's why I can't be lost. You'd have to amputate Jesus. You can't get me out, honey. You can't get me out. I'm in. I'm in Christ. No amputated body. He immersed me in. I'm a member of his body. Some of you got to pray about that. That's all right. But then the question came up, any of you raised kids? Yep. Hey, guys, all, all men class, how many of you guys love change diapers? Yuck. No. Nah. When we had Deborah, first time I was left with her and had a dirty diaper, I just tied her on the table and called her mother. <laughs> Look at it. She's been warped ever since. <laughs> I mean, I just had one of those belts. I was in one of these changing things. I <clears throat> cinched it like a horse. Said, come and do something with this baby. The Lord has not called me to change diapers. 
My son-in-laws are far better than me. They're great. I changed three just to say that I could do it. <laughs> but no man grew up liking to change diapers. I don't think the women like it. But let me ask you this. Are changing diapers worth having the child? Did you know God said, if I save them, I'm going to have to change your diapers a lot? And God said, I'm willing to change your diapers to get you to heaven, until I get you to heaven. Because you're going to have so many messes in your life that I'm going to have to clean up. But I like you. I love you, and I like you. And I have paid at the cross to clean your diapers and clean you up from one mess after another. Has anybody done any messing up since you've been a Christian? Some of you lying. You need to raise your hand. I know you have. Don't tell me. You ain't that pure. No, no, I'm talking to sinners. We all mess up. And he's there to forgive. And when you confess it, what does he do? He says, I'll clean you up. If you'll confess it, I'll clean you up. I'll wash you. Did you know what? You couldn't even have a fellowship with God. Even if you just walk down the road, didn't have, he said, the blood of Christ is cleansing you from all sin, even when you're not sinning. You read it, 1 John 1, 5. His, the blood is cleansing me, present tense, all the time. Well, Lord, I'm not sinning all the time. Yeah, but you've got a sin cesspool down there that I'm cleansing all the time. All the time. Every once in a while, you do the act, and you've got to confess it. But in the meantime, I'm scrubbing. I'm cleaning. I'm doing the wars all the time. You mean that's why I get to pray to you anytime I want? Yeah, the cross is cleansing you every moment. You could send up a prayer any moment because it's already been paid for. I'm cleansing, I'm cleansing, I'm cleansing. So love, what kind of love? A love that will stretch itself and a love that can cover up so that people aren't on display about all their faults. We can forgive it. We can forbear it. We can move on. There's no safe way to love. If you love anything, they can disappoint you. But it doesn't get you out of the command, love. Then he says something about service. Employ your body. And he says five things about spiritual giftedness that he wants to use you in the body. And let's just uh, get those five things uh, every believer has been gifted to serve. Notice that verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to brag on your abilities. Oh, oh. Use it to serve one another. Don't tell me how gifted you are. Serve. Just serve. And the gift there is, I think, a spiritual gift. So everyone has received at least one. Some include talents, everything you are. But uh, he, he wants you to know we've all been gifted to serve. Two, we want to dispense God's grace in us as good stewards. I would say every believer is to dispense God's grace. God's gifted me. God's enabled me with whatever not dispense it, because uh, a steward did not own the household. He just dispensed the goods for his master. You don't own what you possess. Your gifts, your talents, your intelligence, 
Uh, God gave them to you. Now dispense it for God. Dispense it as a gift. Three, uh, those who are speakers, mouth gift, uh, are to get their message from God. Speak as the oracles of God. Uh, don't, you don't get to invent your message. You just get to pass it on through your mouth. Speak as a divine messenger. Fourthly, servers are to serve out of divine strength. If you're always this, your tongue's hanging out, your tongue's hanging out. <laughs> Say, wait, wait, wait. Are you experiencing any divine energizing? You know, God's work is exhausting. It's exhilarating, it's exhausting. But it's also divinely energized. As many a Sunday I preach that I'm looking back and say, where in the world is the energy coming from? It ain't in me. I was like the guy at the store, or, uh, and his mother said to him, but you've got to go. You've got to go to church. And the man said, why? Tell me one reason, Mom. She said, you're the pastor. <laughs> you need to go. And, and so, you know, uh, energizing, uh, there, it's unexplainable, the energy God gives you when you want to do his will. There's energy. There's divine energy. He said it. Enough energy to raise the dead. And, and then, you know, and, and I know you're not in God's will, something, if you've always got this famished look. Yeah, I'm in the army of the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Why, why was it you could stay up to two every night at a bar, and as soon as you get saved, you get tired? Boogie all night. But now I'm a Christian. I'm tired. No. You're tired. You ought to be tired of being tired. You've been tired so long. I'm tired of being tired. Because you don't do anything. You sit around, watch the rest of us, and pray we don't have a coronary. Waiting on you. I believe in the Holy Ghost. Do you? You couldn't even jump a pew in the churches I went to. You don't have enough get up and zip to go about you. I used to tell Dallas guys, my aunts can testify with more fire than you can preach. Just this tired blood Christianity. Ooh, just the thought of go. I sure hope he finishes. Why, it's 1230. Jesus, I just ran out of power. Well, you haven't done anything. You've been hearing me. You say, I know I got the Holy Ghost. I made the 1230. Well, what have you done? You've been drinking. You've been eating at the table. I hope. Some of you eat a sandwich during the meeting. Do something. We used to have a woman used to make her kids sandwiches during the evening service. We just hope she didn't bring a hot plate. No. Serving God, there's an energy tied to it. It's divine. Only those who know God know about this energy. They don't keep going because they're on an ego trip. Guys serve in hard places, little places, little money, little support. They go in year in and year out. I just read the life of William Booth. Where in the world did he and Catherine Booth get all the energy to take the streets of London and get 
girls out of brothels and get men off of booze. Where do you get that kind of energy? You get it from the living God. And he says it right here. We're an energized people. We're energized. It does something that a Benny can't do for you. It does something drugs can't do. And you can stay married with it. And your kids will know you're still their dad. Nothing like it. Then I, I must hurry up. He said, uh, the goal of this is that God may be glorified in all things. I ask you in these last days, are you thinking right? Are you loving right? And is your body engaged doing what God wants? Uh, I think in this matter of love that we're always being tempted with and to uh, let our hearts shrink. Paul told the Corinthians, it cramps you to love me, but it doesn't cramp me to love you, 2 Corinthians 6. And the word for cramps means no space. You get cramps. You get gas. There's no room in the organs, and so you get cramps. You get to hurting. And he says, my heart isn't cramped to love you, but yours is. It cramps you to love me. But God has, he said, God has enlarged my heart so that I can love you. I think uh, of a man that uh, had an obstinate daughter, rejection, obstinance, get out of my life, and lived with that, and live with that. And I know this man arranged to be so good to the girl that he used a secretary to give his gifts to this girl, never let her know who's giving them, chose to be anonymous. And a secretary would give the gifts to this girl as often as that rejected father would give a gift. This went on for several years. The girl never knew who the donor was, never knew who the lover was. After years, the girl melted without even knowing the giver finally melted to the man and embraced him, a dad that couldn't get her to love him. We give up too easy on people but I want to tell you, at the cross is where God stretched out to love you. I want to stretch myself to show you I love you, that I want you. And some of you here are outside the grip of his love. You've never come to him. He's waiting for you. He's asking for you, come to me. I'll save you. I'll give you a new life. I'll give you eternal life because you're living on the edge of eternity. We don't want you to die without Christ. And God's extended, stretched out love was when they nailed a son on a cross and he said, I'm stretching out for you. God so loved the world that he was stretched out on a cross that you would not perish if you would just but take Christ as your Savior. He's the great stretcher. Ask God to enlarge your heart to love your enemies, your critics, and those that maybe be making your world miserable. We all have small hearts until the Spirit of God expands it so that 
It, it might make you love people of different color. It might make you love people of different economic status. You might actually get to loving your neighbors, even your mother-in-law. <laughs> this love can expand and expand. Father, who's here that's outside your love, that's never let you put your arms around them because it's an invitation. You won't force yourself on them. You invite them, come, come, and I will love you as no one could ever love you. The cross of my son is my living testimony of how far I would go to love you. I would even let one of the family die for you, die in your place. If there's anyone here, a man, a woman, a young person, would you show them their need of Jesus Christ? No greater love has ever been shown to us by anyone than you. Save, deliver them from the chains of their sin, and let them today, by faith, by trusting in Jesus Christ, receive the gift of eternal life and never, never perish. I pray that you would save them and change their life for time and eternity. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Christ.